Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 9. The instructions and events narrated in this chapter have to do with the inaugural service in the consecrated tabernacle. You will recall that at the end of chapter 8, Aaron and his sons were commanded to remain in the tabernacle complex for seven days. This is a sort of spiritual quarantine. It will take an extended period of time to prepare and ordain the priesthood, and they mustn't interrupt that process by means of accidental contamination. Then, with the seven-day process complete, they are ready to begin their service. We'll begin reading about that now in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. So let's stop here and appreciate that. Up until this point, the sacrifices have been offered by Moses. But now, with the period of consecration having been completed, it is most appropriate for these duties to be assumed by the regular priesthood. So Moses calls Aaron and his sons and the elders, and he says to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. This is a hinge moment in the narrative, and I just wanted to pause so that you could see that. As in chapter 8, the structure of this chapter is fairly simple. First, we have all the instructions related to what resources will need to be gathered, who is to do what and why, and then we have the actual narrative of all of these rituals being performed and to what effect. Here in verse 2, we see Moses commanding Aaron to take a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. We discussed those sacrifices in general back in chapters 1 and 4. These were to be offered on behalf of Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, as a reminder that no matter how close a human being stands to God, he too is a sinner in need of atonement. People are not leaders in the house of God because they are of a different order of being. They are people which means they too are sinners in need of a Savior. And we forget that at our peril. Obviously, God doesn't want Aaron to forget that. So the first offering that he will offer as an ordained priest is a bull calf. Normally, it would just be a male bull. But here, there is a call for a bull calf, which is unusual, and which, of course, reminds us of the whole golden calf incident in Exodus 32. Aaron was a sinner also, and he needed to acknowledge that and deal with that before he began his service on behalf of the people. And that's the way it is in ministry. Newsflash, your leaders are sinners. That doesn't necessarily disqualify them. If it did, we wouldn't have any leaders. Leaders are sinners. What matters is whether or not they know that. What matters is whether or not they acknowledge that and deal with that. If they do, then, assuming they're called, they're qualified. Leadership in the kingdom of God until the coming, second coming of Jesus Christ is always going to be imperfect. We are sinners, 
serving sinners in the house of the Lord. And it is interesting to see that admission baked into the cake, as it were, right here in this foundational narrative. So there was something going on here for the priests and something going on for the people. We begin to get into that part of the story in verse 3. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. Verses 3 to 4 mark the point in the story at which the people begin to participate in the sacrificial system. A variety of animals are required of the congregation as a whole. R.K. Harrison says helpfully here, The demands made upon the Israelites at this stage of the wilderness sojourn are modest and well within their abilities to meet. This illustrates an important principle of the spiritual life, namely that God does not impose upon the believer any burdens that are too heavy to bear, as contrasted with the practices of the Pharisees, Matthew 23, verse 4, Luke 11, verse 46, and their spiritual successors, close quote. Worship should always be costly, just as it should always be inconvenient. If it doesn't cost you any money and if it doesn't force some adjustment to your schedule, then it probably isn't communicating what it's supposed to be communicating. So woe unto those who try to make worship easy and and convenient, but also woe unto those who try to make it impossible, who, who turn it into a burden that no one can bear. In between is the way of wisdom and the way of the scriptures, thanks be to God. That's a a rudimentary principle here that we would do well to take note of. Verse 5, And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. So here we see the reason for or the object of this particular service of worship. It's about preparing to receive the glory of the Lord. God is coming. Just as he descended upon the finished tabernacle in Exodus 40, verse 34, as a sign of his acceptance of that completed structure, so now he intends to descend in glory again here as a sign of his acceptance of this newly consecrated priesthood. Verse 7. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. This is the handoff moment right here. We saw that anticipated in verse two. Now we see it narrated right here in verses seven to eight. Up until this point, Moses has been the sole priest, but now it is time for Aaron to step forward and to assume his new role. We see him beginning to do that in verse 8. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. We've seen all of these offerings described before, but here now we are seeing the normal order of offerings in the actual worship of the Old Testament church. 
The order is not incidental. First, the sin offering, then the burnt offering, then last, the peace offering. That order matters. Remember, we're learning in these narratives the rudiments of faith. This is how God wants us to approach him. First, with an awareness of our own sin and our need for mercy. So we start with the sin offering. Then, with an expression of total consecration and dedication, thus the burnt offering. Then, finally, with a desire for peace, fellowship, and blessing, thus the peace offering. That order is reflected in many of the New Testament epistles. They begin with gospel fundamentals, the big stuff, like the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and the need for faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Then there's a shift to dedication, consecration, and service. We see a hinge like that, for example, in Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see the same pattern reflected in the life of the New Testament church. A person must be saved and forgiven before he or she can serve in the house of the Lord or have fellowship around the table of the Lord. So again, that basic order is a fundamental principle of faith. As in the Old Testament, so in the New. We jump back into the narrative now at verse 12. Aaron has offered the sin offering, and so now he will offer the burnt offering. Verse 12. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Just notice here that the sons of Aaron participate with him in this ritual. They hand him the blood and he throws it against the sides of the altar. They hand the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and he burns it on the altar. Aaron is taking the lead, but each of his sons, who represent the priesthood generally, are participating alongside of him. Verse 15. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. So having now offered his own offerings, Aaron now presents the offerings for the people. And once again, the same order is observed. First the sin offering, then the burnt offering, which here, following the pattern provided in Exodus 40, verse 29 and following, is accompanied by a grain or cereal offering. And then, last of all, the peace offering. We see that narrated beginning in verse 18. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail, that which covers the entrails, and the kidneys, and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. Those closing words are by no means incidental. As Moses commanded. Worship is according to rule. In fact, as we'll see in the next chapter, it does not appear that individualism and innovation were highly valued. What mattered was precise obedience. 
We need to treat that as an ongoing, enduring principle. What matters is wholehearted expression within the boundaries of fixed and designated forms. God invites us to approach him on his terms. That message ought to be coming through loud and clear to us through these fundamental narratives. We finish the story in verses 22 to 24 as Aaron closes the service by speaking the benediction over the people. Verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. In this dramatic concluding scene, Aaron prays a blessing over the people. Perhaps it was the same blessing later recorded in Numbers 6.23, or perhaps it was something unique to this occasion. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle proper, we presume to pray. We presume to pray for the promised manifestation of the glory of the Lord. When they came out, they blessed the people together, and fire came out from before the Lord. Now, Hear that phraseology. Fire came out. Most of us hear that as fire came down, but the text actually says fire came out. Jewish commentators have generally understood this to mean that fire came out from the tent of meeting and flashed forth to consume fully the sacrifices that were still burning on the altar. This was done as a visible and dramatic demonstration of God's favor upon the ritual. It also seems reasonable to assume that the glory of the Lord refers to the pillar of cloud that was a common feature of the desert narrative. So, in our mind's eye, it is perhaps best to visualize this in terms of a cloud descending and a fire flashing forth. No wonder the people cried out and fell on their faces. This would have been a glorious and terrifying experience. Now, it should be noted that this was not a regular feature of Old Testament worship. There are only three other occasions where something like this happened. When the birth of Samson was announced to Manoah and his wife in Judges 13, when Solomon dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. That's important for us to see. The regular and the spectacular should each be appreciated in the measure that God gives them. There is a danger in obsessing over the spectacular at the expense of the regular. If you were only satisfied by a worship experience that includes fire and the visible manifestation of God's glory, then you're going to experience a great many unhappy decades and centuries in the house of the Lord. On the other hand, though, if you are so committed to the regular that you refuse to acknowledge the possibility or admissibility of the spectacular, then you risk missing out on exciting turning points and climaxes in the work and movement of Almighty God. So take what God gives and learn to appreciate the value and the blessedness of both. Now, I suppose the main takeaway here for us as contemporary readers has to do with the general order of worship that is here illustrated and preserved. As I mentioned above, we are supposed to see that 
and assimilate that in our understanding of biblical worship. The Tyndale Old Testament Commentary has a very helpful observation here. It says, The order of sacrifices described in the ritual prescriptions constitutes an important guide for Christians with regard to the principles of spirituality underlying divine worship. Of the three concepts enunciated, the one that had priority concerned cleansing from sin denoted by the sin offering. When proper atonement had been made, the worshiper was to surrender his life and labor to God, as indicated by the burnt and cereal offerings. Finally, he was to enjoy fellowship with God within the context of a communion meal, which the peace offering furnished. He goes on to say, Opportunities are also provided through the sacrificial prescriptions for personal dedication, thanksgiving, and fellowship. Some early Gentile Christians at Corinth, who were unfamiliar with the spiritual conditions governing Jewish worship, did not observe this order, and so were not able to discern the Lord's body. Close quote. I found that very helpful. It was the ignorance of some Gentile Christians of this basic pattern and of these basic assumptions that caused chaos and conflict in the worship of the Corinthian church. I think that illustrates very well why it is that we do need to return and revisit these Old Testament texts from time to time. These patterns and principles are assumed in the New Testament writings. Now, of course, there's discontinuity, to be sure, as we move into the New Testament era, But there's a great deal of assumption and repurposing and reinterpretation that builds on the fundamentals of faithful life and worship that we are seeing illustrated in these inspired texts. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.